When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why has Tyron Lue stepped down temporarily as the Cavs coach? What does this mean to the title hopes in Cleveland? Did you see the biggest upset in March Madness history? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Emergency Podcast slash Live Periscope Show. Uh, as always, I'm joined by Dave Dufour at Dave Dufour NBA uh, to talk a little bit about what's going on in Cleveland. If if, it, if you would have thought at this point they've they've had enough, <laughs> there's been enough turmoil in Cleveland. But Dave, another thing happened today. What's what's breaking down? What's the news right now? Well, I mean, before we start, we all want to wish Tyron Lue, uh, you know, fast recovery from whatever the problem is. Uh, apparently, this has been going on all season. Um, Last night was the third night that he had uh, had to leave a game early due to uh, some some health problems, and and then of course the report came out today that this has kind of been something he's fighting all season. Uh, Steve Clifford missed time, and and one of the big causes of that was lack of sleep. I mean, sleep deprivation is is a killer, literally, like it can put you in the ground early. Um, so yeah, it's important to get that stuff straight. Um, but yeah, man, the Cavaliers have had quite a drama filled season and this is just one more thing and uh man it just it just never stops for them yeah and this actually goes back potentially to the last season as well in march 2017 he missed a game due to vertigo which could very well be related to anxiety or dizziness or you know not really your, your heart not functioning properly uh the only thing that's concerning to me right now is that they've done tests apparently and they've been well aware of it for a long time and don't seem to have an answer. And that's usually at this point with the medical science way it is now, you'd have some idea of what's going on. So I guess that also leads you to believe that perhaps it is more of an anxiety thing than, than actual, you know, hearts, heart muscle valve issues. Yeah. I mean, that's the hope, right? Like, I mean, we, you know, you want it to be the simplest problem to solve and you would think that anxiety might be the, the easiest of any of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and speculate on what it is, but, uh, what I will say is that hopefully he, he recovers quickly because uh, the playoffs are fast approaching, but also for for him. Absolutely. Well, let's go over a couple of things we, in the past that they've been talking about. They mentioned three times uh, he's had issues this year. So uh, it's December 21st versus Chicago. Uh, he actually addressed reporters at 515 before the game, a 7 o'clock game, just like no signs of anything or illness or anything uh, via Joe Varden of Cleveland.com, friend of the breakdown. And then all of a sudden, 10 minutes before the game, they announced he wouldn't coach and Larry Drew would take over. So those are the weird things that happen where I guess it can grip you at any time. Um, Terry Pluto, who's also a writer, uh, kind of a beat writer for the Cavs, had said, uh, quote, Tyron Liu has not been himself most of the season. You simply need to listen to some of his interviews over the last several months. You could hear the weariness in the voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers coach, end quote. 
So, you know, obviously the, the guys who are covering the team day to day, I've probably been noticing that there's been a little bit something off with him, uh, low energy and just, you know, um, you know, something missing uh, from him who's, you know, a very young guy, former pro athlete. So uh, and then February 6th during the Orlando Magic game, he left during the second quarter and didn't come back. And then we had, I guess, last night. Is that the, the, the schedule of events here? Was it last night when he left? Yeah, it was last night. So last, last night again. Now, in between all of that, we did have a, a public uh, lashing out of LeBron against Lou that we saw against the Blazers. Sure. Um, now, that I'm sorry. My whole timeline screwed up. Is that, that, that was not last night's game, though. No. That was, that was a few nights ago. A few nights ago. So in the background of all the things that are going on with Lou and his health, we also have, obviously, some issues going on between LeBron and Lou from a coaching perspective. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to speculate there either. I, I think in the heat of battle, so to speak, uh, you have those sorts of things. This isn't the first time we've seen, um, you know, a coach and a player get into it, and uh, it won't be the last. And um, so, you know, I don't know if there are, there are real problems behind the scenes or if this was just a one-off. We haven't seen stuff like this often, and, and LeBron is very good about, you know, um, I, I think if LeBron has – has a little bit of a distaste for a coach. He's been pretty good about not showing it. So, um, you know, it could be a thing. It might not. It's tough to tell. But obviously this season has not gone the way that anyone associated with Cleveland Cavaliers has, has wanted it to go. And that started with Kyrie Irving being traded. I, I think it just has to be said. And, you know, what he did for that team the last few seasons was just so important. And they don't have that guy that can go out there and get you buckets. Um you know, and, and when you need them, it's all LeBron now, and and it's tough, man. The NBA just doesn't. This is not 1987 NBA where one guy can win you a game. You you need the other guys to step up. Defenses are too advanced. So, um, you know, LeBron's frustration, you know, it might be warranted, and and also some of this might be on LeBron. Um, I, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. There are some for sure some issues with with the way they play, uh, in particular on defense, but. Uh, you know, uh, it, it. We'll see what happens in a month when the playoffs are rolling. Uh, I, I'm, I'm. This is the first time I really feel like they're vulnerable. Right. Well, do we want to talk about Larry Drew as a coach for a second? Sure. <laughs> I, I've always had issues with him. I, I quite frankly, I felt like uh, his teams never really played uh, like really well-oiled machines, really good teams. Um, the Atlanta years were frustrating for me. And by the way, a lot of that had to do for some reason with Jamal Crawford. I, I couldn't sort of not see his issues on defense for so much of those games that just drove me crazy. Like, why isn't someone doing something about that? But either way, I don't think his team's right. He's sort of struggled wherever he's gone, and he's hung on. Now, again, the way he got treated in Milwaukee was unconscionable. It should never happen to a head coach. But And if we don't remember, that was Jason Kidd basically stealing his job and kind of getting it before Larry Drew even knew he was fired. Uh, just terrible stuff. Um, but uh, at the very least, when we're looking at his record and the way his team's played, I always feel like that, you know, I don't think that he's going to come in and have these ideas that are going to change anything. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, you know, when you have something like this happen, you, you wouldn't expect a big sea change anyway. Um, they're going to they're going to try to keep the ship steady <laughs> as steady as it has, has been. Um, they're going to try to keep it steady and, you know. Keep the status quo, and I think that that's what you want. You know, you, you should be working on chemistry at this point for this team, especially. You know, so many new players, uh, four new guys in the rotation. Uh, Kevin Love may be coming back. He, he's listed as questionable for tonight. Um, so I, I think that the big thing is going to be focus on the chemistry. 
don't worry about the wins and losses. I mean, I think that they'll win enough games that they'll stay stay in the playoffs. I, I don't think there's any chance of them losing um, the eight games or you know in a row, and then the Pistons winning eight in a row. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so I, I think you focus on chemistry, limp into the playoffs, sort of, but but really start thinking long term. Don't think about game to game. You got to think, okay, we want good process here. Uh, eschew the results and focus on process. And even if you go in as the eighth seed, you know, you've got LeBron, you've got a chance to still go uh, compete for a title. That, that's a very good point. That's always what they've relied on is the fact that you've got LeBron that's going to, uh, you know, uh, hide a lot of issues or overcome a lot of issues as well. So uh, they still have a lot of problems on defense, right? It's, I haven't checked uh, that recently, but as far as I saw some of the numbers, right, they're still way down there on defensive rating. And I think that there was a slight bump when they get the trade, but it's kind of back to where it was, right? Yeah, it, it's um, – I listen, the, the, the first two games after the trade was a little bit of fool's gold. You know, I think we can all say that, especially at this point with hindsight. It looked like the young legs were really going to help turn it around. Mm-hmm. Um, but the defense has been, as you just said, it's been atrocious. Atrocious. Right. And just really quickly, so the last, overall the season, they're 28th in defensive rating, which is second to last or third to last. Uh, right now, over the last like 10 games, for instance, their, their defensive rating would be 23rd. So it really hasn't moved up at all. Uh, certainly not enough where you think that that's enough to win a championship. And this, this is definitely worse. I mean, I guess I can press one button and check. But as far as I remember, this was not even uh, as low as they were not this low last year. No, no, they weren't. So it's a real concern, and so it's like they don't practice very much, right? That hasn't changed as far as I can tell. And by the way, now I'm starting to wonder if like maybe the practice schedule is around lose issues as well because clearly it's, it's a thing that no one wanted to talk about for a long time. But who knows? Maybe it was a chance to give Lou some more rest as well. Um, I mean, obviously he needs it. You know, I think that that's, that's something that's uh, actually very apparent. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe. Maybe this is the, you know, the the – kind of breaking point and they said you know what we need you for the playoffs um let's go ahead and shut it down now instead of possibly having to shut it down in the playoffs i mean remember the warriors dealt with this with steve kerr in his back where they you know they shut him down and it, he wound up missing the whole first round of the playoffs so mm-hmm. you know maybe they maybe they looked at that i don't know but um either Wait. way it's not it's not good for lou right well he missed almost the whole playoffs right and then came back at the very end am i crazy yeah, he missed the first. I thought it was only the first round. Okay, I want to go back check him Mike out. Brown right. Um, so, in either way, and again, it's funny because Mike Brown, you kind of is the, almost the equivalent of like Larry Drew, right? Guys who have already had head coaching experience, um, and you know, struggled at different times of, of their careers. So, um, you know, we'll have to see. That. I mean, because remember, the argument ended up being at some point in there uh, that Mike Brown, you know, people wanted to argue he was a better coach than Kerr. He was doing some different lineups or whatever, and they were certainly was were getting results. But I don't think uh, I don't think <laughs> you can't argue with Steve Kerr's results either. And another thing you can't argue with is that 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. Have you started putting sunscreen on the top of your head? Does it take you one rub of the towel to dry your hair after a shower? You've got to act now if you want to maintain those silky smooth locks. And the way to do that is with 4hims.com. They connect you with real doctors and medical solutions to treat your hair loss. It's really easy, and you don't have to have that awkward scene in a doctor's office where they have you bend over and cough. Uh, well, that's the wrong ailment, but you get the picture. 
Head on over to 4 That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. Answer a few questions, and their doctors will review and get you what you need to stop that hair loss. Get a free month of Hims for just 5 bucks when you go to my special URL, 4 slash b-ball breakdown, and you'll save hundreds of dollars compared to a doctor or pharmacy. So head over to 4 slash b-ball breakdown and keep that hair where it belongs, out of your ears and nose and back on the top of your head. Friend of the breakdown or best friend of the breakdown, um, Adam Stanko is out here on the comments saying that we could argue it started with the way with, with the uh, when David Griffin's departure happened. And I think that that's also something where uh, they're going to end up uh, realizing that they they had a guy that could really keep the culture the way they wanted to be with David Griffin in the jam spot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's uh, that's a relevant uh, point to make. I mean, that directly led to the Kyrie Irving trade. Um, you know, if you've listened to any of Griff's interviews, I mean, he's been very upfront about the fact that he didn't actually want to trade Kyrie, but everything is on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a good GM, you're, you're exploring options. You know the value of every player on your team, and that sometimes means you're making calls about them. So, um, you know, you're doing your due diligence. And uh, I, I, But I don't think Griff, according to the interviews, and I, I have nothing else to go on, but I don't think he, he ever planned to trade Kyrie unless they were blown away or unless Kyrie actually wanted to be traded. And it seems like that button was sort of pushed when uh, when Griff was sort of pushed out. Right. And, and and I think it's proved accurate where I think Griffin understood that it's going to be very hard for LeBron without that really strong second scorer like, like a Kyrie. And by the way, Kyrie is, you know, elite you know, he's got to be a top whatever he is, guard and scoring at least the ball on ISOs and what, and what have you. So uh, they don't have that anymore, right? There's no one that will take that role. Uh, and so that's probably the biggest issue they're going to have going forward is that, uh, I mean, unless they suddenly change it to a motion offense where LeBron's gravity is now pulling guys all over the place on motion, uh, they're, they're, you know, who's going to be that guy? Rodney Hood, uh, Jordan Clarkson? I don't, I don't know. I mean... I, I was really hopeful that Rodney Hood was going to come there and turn it on. You know, I'm a big Rodney Hood guy, um, but it seems like it's the same old story that we've seen coming out of Utah, the, the injury stuff, um, not playing through smaller injuries. And, and I'm not going to hate on that because, you know, this guy's a professional athlete, and if he's not comfortable playing a little dang, uh, dinged up, you know, that's not my call. That's his. Um, George Hill hasn't really done a ton. Um, I, I would love to see Jordan Clarkson be able to turn it on the way he did in the first few games for them, but it, it's inconsistent. Now, Kevin Love coming back is going to change this for them. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give them one more player who's solid in the rotation. Kevin Love's defense, while much maligned, has improved greatly, and you and I have talked quite a bit about that, his positioning. you know, He's gotten smarter as a defender. Um, the effort level was already there. The, his issue is that he's got real athletic limitations, and so... Um, he has done about as much as you can do to overcome those limitations. So um, that will help. Tristan Thompson being out, I mean, you know, it helps the starting lineup, but it doesn't necessarily help the bench. So uh, they've got they've got some big issues. And but at the end of the day, they still have LeBron and everyone I talk to. That's what they bring up. You know, hey, LeBron is uh, LeBron still LeBron. I can't trust the the Raptors because LeBron is still LeBron. I can't trust the you know. The uh, the Celtics, Celtics for because that. LeBron's still a run and and they're not wrong, they're not wrong. The guy's been to seven straight finals. 
and he's playing probably better than he ever had, at least offensively, right? His numbers right. and the way he's playing right now are better than his, we've ever seen him. It's really, uh, you know, if you ever want to get to the Michael Jordan, LeBron argument, like this might be the strongest case is that the guy 15, whatever he is, how many years is he in the league now? 15. 15, 15. years in the league is actually like playing as well as he ever has. And that's sort of a, a great argument for him. It's unbelievable. I mean, that dunk he had on Nurkic uh, the other night was uh, it, it literally, I almost dropped my phone out of fear. Yeah, it was insane. And, and you know, the guy, he's not getting any dumber either. You know, right. he's only getting smarter. He was already, you know, one of the smartest basketball players of all time when he started this run, this finals run. And and now it's like he's he's got basketball mastered and he has a regular season mastered as well. And so, yeah, you know, we, we talk a lot about his defense and, and granted, his defense has been bad. The effort just isn't there. I mean, he's very good at pointing when guys are shooting. Um, but, but we all know what this is about for LeBron. It, this is about the postseason. You know, if LeBron wanted to go out and average a 40 point triple double during the regular season, guess what? He could do it and he could do it in the flow of the game. But that's not what this is about. And, you know, this is all about keeping his body healthy, keeping getting his teammates ready for the postseason. And, and, you know, we've never seen a guy who works this way, which is why it's so hard for all of us to to comment on it. I've actually stopped talking about LeBron's terrible defense. Yeah. I mean, listen, by the way, if we're ever wondering what his role is going to be as far as the coaching goes, you know, with Larry Drew at the head of the bench, I don't don't think it's a question that we're going to see a lot more of LeBron, you know, wanting to do things and and change things and substitute and call timeouts. I have a feeling we're going to see more of that. I don't think Larry Drew is the guy who's going to fight back against that. Or maybe he's maybe they're on the same page. Maybe they already, you know, there's a symbiosis there where they're going to end up having the same ideas. But really quickly, Diesel G. Buckets asked, did, did they say it was a mental thing for Tyron or a heart muscle problem? Well, they basically said that he's been having heart uh, or chest pains. So it definitely is manifesting itself as a physical pain. Um, but obviously you do all the workup. There's a lot of tests you can do that should give you a pretty uh, good indication of whether or not your heart is functioning properly. And apparently that's not the issue. So then you go to the next level with like lack of sleep, anxiety, uh, other things like that, which is kind of interesting because we've now seen, you know, Kevin Love is experiencing the same thing. And um, it's something in the water. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, again, man, like the NBA is is kind of a it's a stressful lifestyle as it is, and especially for coaches. You know, Jeannie Buss talked about uh, how the training staff is actually, you know, the coaches fall under their purview as well for the Lakers, and it's very important that the the training staff is monitoring the coaches' sleep, you know, what they're eating, and all these things. I think that that that's that's going to be something we see go league wide. I mean, I know there are other teams that do it, the, the Spurs. Probably the Warriors, I imagine, because, you know, they are light years ahead of everyone else. Um, and they think about these sorts of things. But I, I, I don't know if Cleveland does that. I haven't heard. I'm not saying that they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's something that, that we all need to take into consideration. While they don't take the physical toll of playing the games night in and night out, coaches put in more hours. You know, so they take the physical toll from from the sleep deprivation, from the just work. You know, work is stressful in and of itself. Um, they don't get rest days. Right. You know, coaches coaches don't like on on days without practice or without shoot around. Coaches are working. They're studying film. They're you know, they're looking at talking to the advanced scouts. They're doing all these sorts of things. So they don't take days off. 
Right. But by the way, I hope like if you're a coach out there, I hope you're listening. Like there are I think there are ways now, especially with, with technology, that we can overcome a lot of the issues that just took a lot more time to go through stuff back in the day. And I almost feel like there's probably a way you can do it where it isn't going to kill you, right? There's a way where you can get more efficient with the way we're breaking down stuff and know what we're looking for. Absolutely. And I hope that I hope that, that continues to go because it's like you know, that synergy and other things we have now, sure. you can isolate the things you want rather than have to watch, you know, a, a 500 clips to find the, the 10 you're looking for. So um, that you could know, very well be a new thing. You know what I'll say, though? I, I think a large part of this is, you know, that's the way it was always done. You know, like mm-hmm. Tom, Tom Thibodeau famously, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler was trying to beat him to the gym and could not do it. <laughs> And he finally figured out Tom Thibodeau just spent the night at the gym a lot and would sleep in his office. And again, this is that, you know, the perception of being a hard worker is so important to some people. And and honestly, a lot of people in the league feel that way. If they think you're a hard worker, whether whether you produce results or not, doesn't matter. Um, whether your process is good or not, doesn't matter. But if they think you're working hard, then they care about that. And, and for me, I man, I prefer working smart. Um, I would rather a guy can get, you know, if you can get the same amount of work done in 20 minutes that it takes someone else an hour, uh, I'm going with you because you're going to be more efficient. Now, there's there's an argument to be made. You might make more mistakes, but, you know, in, in basketball, it's, you know, you've got a lot of checks and balances, so. Right. And also, it's like, you know, coming from me, where all I do is stare at footage all day, every day. And I used to, you know, in the last couple of years, I've adjusted the way I do it because I get so burned out around this time that I couldn't even think straight. Uh, like, you could go back on Twitter. There were moments, like, in the spring where I'm, like, just, I'm just confused and lost and I can't, like, get my mind straight on anything. So I've been able to adjust a little bit the way I do it. And I've been able to spend a few more, like, a lot more dinners with my family. And that whole thing is, that's really important. And I know that it's, it's equally important, if not more. For NBA coaches who are on those sidelines because they're traveling as well, so um, yeah, you, you, we, I think that there's a way to do it where um, you know the, the old school. I, I think of them about about Moneyball, that movie when they're sitting around the table and they're talking. All those scouts are talking that nonsense about what the girlfriend looks like and how that's supposed to inform the way they you know break down a player's ability. And I think that really we can now get get much more efficient with the way we're looking at these things, and you don't simply need to. In fact, I would argue like the scouts they have to go to the games and like watch the games live. I'm not even sure they have to do that anymore. I know they want to get the calls, like the verbal calls, but it sounds like half the teams won't even give the scouts uh, seats close enough to hear the right. calls. So at this point, it's like it doesn't You're really matter. Advanced scouts. Advanced, sorry, advanced scouts, which is, you know, another version of like what the coaching staff is, is doing right. too. So, um, yeah, you have to hope that that will, that will maybe, hey, maybe now the coaches will start because we're now all, all, all obsessed with, about the players' health and keeping them healthy and getting more rest. Maybe it's time we start doing that with the coaches. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think it's it, for sure, man. Like, it's such a stressful job. And it's one of the things that people preach about in the NBA, you know, um, when you're talking to coaches or, or just talking to NBA people about how stressful the job is. You know, and, and the travel schedule is just as crazy. And for assistants, sometimes it can be worse because assistants sometimes double as advanced scouts and, you know, uh, pro personnel scouts and things like that. So um, it, it's for sure that's going to be the next step in in the team process. I At least I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, because high-level coaches are hard to come by. You know, right. coaches that are game changers, you know, your, your Steve Kerrs, your Greg Popovich, Popovich your Brad Stevens, you know, you want to keep those guys 
healthy and and with your team for a long time and it, so it behooves its team and it's in the team's best interest to to keep those guys you know optimal you know now, in optimal condition and popovich has been quoted as saying that he doesn't even watch film of the other team and everyone thought that was a joke but i've asked people who know and they've insisted that that's true now he's probably got his assistants doing all of that and giving him the reports but uh and, and I, it's definitely an anomaly i have to imagine most of the head coaches are looking at other teams but i think the point is is that he's obviously much more concerned about his team's execution. Sure. And, you know, and so I do think that there's a misplaced notion of like a couple different things as far as culture about, you know, having to watch and study the other team more than, you know, or as much as they do. And then also, like, I'm here, so you got to be here, right? I'm putting in 20 hours today. Right. You better be putting in 21 hours where it's like, if you have a job and you need to get this thing done, you get it done. And when you're done, right. you're done. And I think some teams in the league really understand that this is a game, right? right. And that there is a, uh, there's a whole other world outside of the basketball. Uh, you know, even when you watch Thibodeau coach, I've, I've really kind of changed uh, on him. I've soured on him uh, after all this time. I was a huge fan of his. And, um, you know, part of it is when you have the sound on when you're watching the game, it's like he battles for the play-by-play and color commentator guy for who's going to get more airtime. He's constant, and I know for a fact that it wears on the players on his team. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> plug to your video, <laughs> the Andrew Wiggins video. Oh, uh, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think that, um, you know, it, it's just it just thinks that, that we are at the point where we like we haven't caught up with the work life balance for coaches yet and this is all sports you know this is this is not um unique to basketball football is famously the same way um and, and you know you're seen as lazy if you don't want to just spend 20 hours in the gym and, and you know i and that's not that's not healthy for anybody um yeah right well anyway. listen should we talk a little bit about Virginia and that upset, the, 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 the all-time greatest upset of all time? I didn't Friday? watch it. You didn't watch it? Are you kidding? I, I haven't watched any tournament games. Oh, I, my I'm goodness. Not, college basketball is unwatchable, Nick. It, it just is unwatchable. The, the rules are terrible. The coaches overcoach. Micromanage. There's no, not much creativity. And, you know, like, I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr., who's going to be a top seven pick, right, at worst. He played 15 minutes in that Michigan State game yesterday. Uh, I'm sorry, man. I, I just can't. I cannot abide it. And, and it, it just, it's its horrific. And I'll go back and I'll watch guys that are going to be drafted. But, man, college basketball is not is not great. Now, I hear that UMBC kind of had a space, uh, pace and space um, sort of offense. And so maybe that would have been would have been fun to watch. But, uh yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not down with zone, and I'm not down with the you know all this other stuff. So right. not boring. Well, I will throw this out there. Okay, you know, I, I'm I'm in. I'm always cheering for the underdog. So if you haven't figured that out, I'm generally biased in favor of the underdog, no matter what. I just love that story. I love to watch you know David versus Goliath, and so I watched the second half of the game because it was 21 all, which is like a just it must have been an awful first half. In fact, I've, I've watched the first half of the first half. And um, really quickly, and then we could talk about sort of more strategically. So Virginia was number one all season long. And I know they lost their sixth man who's a good scorer, but uh, they run a thing called movers and blockers. That's the offense. And if you, all you have to know about it is that if you're a blocker, 
it sucks. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> right. the worst all time position because it's all you are doing is setting screens. Now, every once in a while, after you set a screen, you can open up and you duck in, they'll throw you the ball down low and you put it in. But man, I have a possession after possession, which we're going to show today in the video breakdown I'm going to do of a guy. He literally sets four screens in a row on offense and that's it. It's got to be the most boring, horrible position to play in. When, 1940s especially, basketball, Nick. Yeah, we're in positionless basketball where at least guys should be able to touch the ball a little bit. And I swear, it's like this guy never gets, you know. And by the way, as soon as they touch it, boom, they pass it right back out. So it, it's terrible. Now, but here's the worst part about it, not even amongst that, because you might get some guys who are like, hey, me like my role, will not worry about passing or not worry about shooting. But, um, or, and by the way, it's not even worrying about shooting. It's worrying about looking at the damn basket when you have the ball. It isn't looking at it. <laughs> so, but here's what it is. You now have two bigs who are hovering around the blocks on both sides at all times. How are you supposed to drive when you have that alignment almost the entire time in a possession? Uh, you aren't, Nick. That that's that's the thing. Um, I, from from what I understand, because I asked, you know, how the best team in college basketball lost to, you know, UMBC, and uh, everyone told me that uh, they weren't the best team in college basketball. They run a 1940s offense, which Movers and blockers definitely is. I mean, you see that at the high school level. Um, I mean, you know, co- come on, man. College basketball sucks. Yeah. And by the way, the, the, and I don't know if you said it in your, your little diatribe about college basketball, but the, the thing I take away the most from watching these games is how bad the refereeing is. Oh, man, it's horrific. And, you know, the, the part of it is the ch- like the charge rule needs to just go away. Um, uh, you know, the only person that should be able to draw a charge is the primary defender. If you slide in from out of the play, it should just be a blocking foul every single time. But college basketball rewards that. And it's not only is it just bad for the sport, it's dangerous. Yeah, I hate I hate it. I right. hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Right. Like, so, and here's the thing. It, it's a rule. So you might as well. That's what they do. They have to, what we, it's a rule we're allowed to do. We should do it. But so that's why we should get rid of that rule. Right. Just don't make it be a thing where they are. They, anybody would be trying to do. And I, it, again, it's it's such a hard call to make anyway. These refs are not good at it as it is. And so just get rid of it. Let it be a charge if you're guarding the guy. Now, again, that's a little bit harder to deal with. Perhaps you got some more training, but at least try that. So you get all the all the arm bars and all the push offs could get called. because That's still an offensive foul. Um, and, you know, if I'm guarding you and you jump into me, you know, great. That's an offensive foul as well. But we saw some stuff even last night in the, uh, in the UNBC game against um, Kansas State that, you know, that were terrible. Now, I don't think uh, Kansas State was going to lose that game either way. But, man, it kind of was – it stayed close. Um, and UNBC's offense is terrible in the, in the half court. They, and it was really weird. They, they, they won on transition. And then okay. they, uh, Virginia could not get back. And they were spacing the three-point line and hitting it. And then they were, then the guy, they were trying to close out and hit, they get for layups. And then Virginia panicked because once they went down by about 12 with, I don't know, like 10 minutes to go, they kind of realized, they're like, crap, we're not going to be able to score 12 more points. You know, or, 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 yeah, or like we're not going to score 20 more points. Yeah, with, with that offense, you're lucky to score 12 points total. Yeah, so they started they started trapping randomly on the on the wing, and it was like you know even the even the 16th seed in the tournament can can handle a trap when they get from running at you from the from the top and hit right. the short roll and then it's a fast break in the in the half court. So, uh, you know they kept cutting to Tony Bennett, who is you know Tony Bennett's the the best college coach in the country, I'd imagine. Uh, you know, and you could see on his face, and that was the one thing was. 
you could see sort of the panic, the masked panic, and I'm sure the players saw that as well. And I don't think you'd want to have it be like anger. You don't want to project anger and you know do that. But uh, they definitely were ever. They were all feeding off of the same feeling of like, I, I we can't do anything. We don't know what we're supposed to do. We've never been in a situation before, and and it just rolled downhill from there. I'm sorry, man, but how can a guy be the best coach in college basketball running that offense? Right. Well, and then, by the way, they're probably like offensive rating is off the chart, right? I don't even know. We should look, but I, I bet you, no, right? They were, they were a terrible. Offense. Oh, they were. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and you're right. It's all triple threat. It's all like catch, you know, rip through, rip through, look, look. And um, oh, and by the way, okay, so it is an issue. The offense I hate. Now we can get into the pack line defense. And I don't like the pack line. People, you know, there's arguments for the pack line. But here's the problem, I think, with pack line. Because of the, the better three-point shooting we have and because it's coming out from farther now, we've redefined what an open shot is, especially with right. a hop, right? The hop is right. letting you get it off quicker and with more rhythm and people can hit that. So, you know, the pack line will, you'll help one pass away and they rely on the fact, oh, we'll get there. You know, we'll make it a tougher shot. Well, guess what? That tougher shot is not a tougher shot anymore. So that's the real issue as well is that he's, we're now running it on defense that will, in my mind, as the, from now on and going forward is not going to be as effective because of that. Well, and, and, you know, think about Syracuse. They literally give up an open shot one foot behind the line. This is this speaks to college coaches not picking up on the fact that that is still a good shot. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's no reason why you couldn't have a guy taking that that deeper three. It's not it's not even it's probably right inside an NBA three and be wide open. Um, but you know, you got that line there, and guys feel like they got to stand on it. I, I hate that stupid line, man. I, like I wish it was invisible. Not that I don't want a three point line, but you know, the idea like players get. Bad coaching creates bad habits for players, one of which is setting up for catch and shoot with their toes right on that line. And that's why you get a lot of guys stepping on the line. For me, it's you, you're you're two feet off the line, so you can hop in to the catch and take your shot, and you're still shooting a wide-open shot. Not to mention, you're cre- let's say you're a really good shooter and the other team knows it. Okay, so now you've just created an extra two feet of space for a driving lane and against these crappy zone defenses mm-hmm. that's important and not only you know it gives you more space to set to flash a, a a guy to the middle to get the high post touch um it gives you more space you know if you can actually run a little bit of a pick and roll against a two three if you've got enough space in the corner oh so. yeah oh by the way i shared a a tweet from ryan pannon this morning on an awesome set from Obradovich. i don't know if you saw it on twitter where uh the two wings cross each other one sets an inside ball screen on the one guard on the two three the other guy sets an inside ball screen on the other basically creating a like a like a moses going through the uh, red sea and the point penetrating guard gets right in the middle and it's a lab or a wide open three it was amazing love that you can picture that uh, if not check my my timeline um you can definitely ball screen all all day on a two three zone can I, let, let's go crazy because i want to light up zones i want to light up you know what i want to light up i want to light up the freaking college coaches who don't know how to attack a zone can we go there? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Michigan State yesterday, um, from what I understand, I mean, I saw like five minutes of that game because I was sitting uh, having a margarita. All um, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I didn't see one elbow touch. I didn't see one guy flash to the elbow. Nothing. Okay. Not yeah. once. So elbow is the big one. But how about this? Even easier, 
what I call the slot, they changed the slot now. Now it's above, like it's the elbow and above. The slot to me was, the, I guess, the short corner, like right outside sure. the lane along the baseline behind the backboard. That's where you need to have a guy there to pin that forward in the 2-3 down closer to the basket because if he comes out to that wing and he's then you just a quick boom to the to the slot area, what I call a slot or the short corner, and now you got a, a layup or a, a very uh, – Good shot out of that. So it's very frustrating to me that I I watched two or three games. Not once in like 10 positions in a row was I watching these. Did they ever see a guy get to that spot? And so the, the, the zone just keeps moving up, moving up, and knocking the, the, the offense back and back. And the clock is now running down. They're taking bad shots. It really is a mind-boggling thing to me that at the D1 level, I'm seeing multiple teams have no idea how to properly attack a zone. Yeah, um, having a guy in that dunker spot would, would just – it would just be huge. And, you know, the other thing is, man, like run a screen against the zone, like run a ball <laughs> screen against a, a, a high two, three, you know, try to pull them out. You know, it's just, I don't know, man, college coaching. And I know I rail about this a lot. It, it just lacks creativity for the most part, man. And the guys that are creative are at schools where they can't get the bodies to compete because at the end of the day, the reason that your Dukes, your Kentucky's, your Michigan States, guys like that, they get the faster horses, and the faster horses are going to win the majority of the races. Whether it has nothing to do with coaching, right? So mm-hmm. Kentucky can be a perennial uh, championship contender because he's going to recruit well and get the better players, and that is how good coaches look like good coaches, or what we consider good coaches. It has nothing to do with X's and O's. Has nothing to do with development. Has nothing to do with any of these game decisions. It's all about how well you can recruit. I mean, look at Arizona. Yeah, Sean, Sean Miller's been a hell of a recruiter. Man, I've watched Arizona games, and I I cannot I cannot understand some of his. He had DeAndre Ayton, who, for all intents and purposes, is the best big man prospect. I don't know since Shaq in college basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, may, I mean Embiid was. You know, it's in, when he was in college, he wasn't as highly touted, right? And he had him playing the four next to another big, which made his defense look a lot worse than it actually is because he's kind of guarding out of position. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not to mention, you, you minimize his impact on the offensive end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly the, the, the results of Sean Miller's, you know, uh, based on the talent he's had, is, has not been, haven't been equal. Right. Um, you know, so I, you know, listen, I, I yeah, again, I, and, and, <laughs> and now he's in trouble, you know, he's fighting this issue now we've seen, which has been pretty ballsy on his part. Cause although I guess we don't know if that report is really true that they have him on tape on, on the phone. So we now must, you know, we have to decide that, but it does seem like if, if I'm not mistaken, he's lost a couple of recruits already, right? They've already um, decommitted. Yeah. They decommitted because, uh, there's a lot of questionable, you yeah. know, who knows, who knows, uh, how long he's going to be here. I don't want to sit and speculate on his, on his job or the federal right. investigation or anything like that. But anyhow, it's a, it's a real mess. And I mean, listen, Calipari is the, is the poster child for the mess. And he's just, he's smart enough not to talk about money on the phone. He'll, he calls it, you know, he'll call it big ZD or whatever they call it on the phone. But um, here's the problem I have with Calipari is that he says, okay, we're coming here for one year. I'm getting in the, in the first round of the draft. So then it's like, I don't have to coach you. 
because right. you're only here for a short time. I don't really have time to coach you, so I won't. I don't have to. And that's the biggest cop out of all time. Um, I think there is time. You got 20 hours in a week. You got several months. There's at least time to teach them how to play. And as a result, all those guys get in. They're highly talented, but they don't know how to play the damn game for another year or two. Yeah, you know, there's pe- absolutely no development whatsoever. So people forget about John Wall, but John Wall had no idea what he was doing for at least a year and a half in the NBA. It was like a, it was just a mess. And, you know, he's all over the place. And, you know, again, I don't buy it, this notion of, oh, I don't have enough time to, to actually coach him. I just think he doesn't want to because it's hard. Yeah, and, and what you know, what's going to be nice is uh, after this summer when guys can start coming uh, straight to the G League or uh, straight to the NBA, and then we don't have to think about the NCAA. You know, we can let we can let uh, for the love of the game, folks, uh, watch watch their crappy college basketball, and you and I can focus on the NBA, and and you know maybe maybe we'll watch the G League in uh, in March instead of watching uh, March Madness. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to become like a fan of a G League team. That'd be cool. Now, the other thing is you can argue, well, now maybe college basketball will get better because you're going to have these four-year players all the time. But guess what? There's only like a dozen one-and-dones every year anyway, right? Uh, Yeah, something like that. I mean, let's just say it's 50. uh, 50? I mean, it's less than 50, right? But there's yeah, there's 400 and whatever D1 teams, right? They're, right. Everyone's existing the way it used to be. You still have all these upperclassmen anyway. So it doesn't really affect that many programs. And so, yeah, so that's the argument there. That doesn't make sense to me either way. So, right. um, yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I don't know if the NCAA is going to try and fight that or not. I imagine they will, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't. How can the NCAA fight it? I don't know. I guess pick up the phone and talk to Adam Silver, but you know, but I don't know. It's not Adam. So, so this is something that the the NBA Players Association collectively bargained, right? So they'll they'll sit down and they'll readdress it. Um, I'm assuming this summer uh, with the league, and and they'll figure it out. And and honestly, like it seems like from the player standpoint, more and more of them are feeling like you need to get those 18 year old guys in the league, right? Uh, I agree. I, I think I think it's time. I, I just think the college situation is is not tenable anymore. And if you're good enough, uh, where you're going to complain that you're not getting paid, which is you know that's that's that a very select group is there. Just get them out of college basketball to get, to begin with. Yeah. So should we I go? Mean, what if a guy was yeah. really good at sales? You know, yeah. he was 18 years old. Would you tell him no? I'm sorry, you can't get a job in sales. You got to go. For, for I don't year. know. Go study. Uh, uh, I don't know English 101 for a year, buddy. Well, no. no, no. You know what it'd be like? It'd be like, no, you got to do, you got to do start. You have to make cold calls, uh, you know, on telemarketing for a year right. yeah. <laughs> before you can do anything else. Uh, let's get some questions. What do you say if we have anything in the, in the Periscope as we wrap this up? So, sure. uh, you know, someone wants to know why there's an air mattress behind you. And it's also ballsy that you have that. Uh, yeah, in- yeah. So I said this in the, uh, in the chat. I got friends in town and uh, we, we just decided at the last minute to make this a Periscope. So. Um, you know, yeah, you couldn't off. just yeah just turn around and knock it, uh, slide it over and stuff. So that's cool. Uh, yeah, um, I like it. It's a nice little touch. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. If you don't think Cal Perry is a good joke, it's a good joke. Then you clearly haven't watched this UK team this season. Thank you. <laughs> I know, but don't you think that's so interesting? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, Freudian. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, he's not a good coach. So whatever you no. want to say, I don't care. I'm, yeah. I'll watch and I'll see what you're talking about. But sure. uh, you know. That's that's not I don't it's not him it's somebody else. Uh, let's see here. Derek Rose and Cat were rookies of the year. What do you mean Cal's guys aren't good at first? Oh yeah, no, they're 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 good. They're talented. They don't know how to play the game. Right. You they know, don't. That, they aren't developed any by that year. Yeah. 
Exactly. So it's not like they're not, not effective. And, you know, again, Derrick Rose and Carlton Towns went through the really great situations where they could play a lot in the teams. Oh, actually, Rose was on a good team. No, it wasn't. Wait. No, it was rookie year. They made the playoffs, but it wasn't great. And it was Vinny Del Negro. So, hey, <laughs> hey, Vinny has done a decent job, man. He's, I think he's one of those guys. If you've got a young team, I think he's the, kind of the, the right guy that you want. I mean, he's done a good, he did a good job with the Clippers. He did a good job with Chicago. No, he didn't, though. I don't, hey, I don't think Tom, he did. Tom Thibodeau and Doc Rivers didn't do any better than, than Vinny. Oh, what are you talking about? Thibodeau, Thibodeau did in Chicago without question. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess he won, what, 60 games that one year? Yeah, and he had an elite defense with them, and they were, I mean, you know, uh, he, they, they put all their eggs in the Derrick Rose basket, and then as soon as he went down, I guess they simply just sure. couldn't really recover necessarily. But they, they were much better than under Vinny. I mean, listen, I started B-Ball Breakdown because I couldn't stand watching Vinny's teams, basically. So thank you, <laughs> Vinny. Um, Nick and Deja coached the Albany Patroons. Well, if we did that, we'd be following in the very prestigious footsteps of Phil Jackson. There you go. Um, better development in the NBA than college. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, FF, FSS Hooters. No, FS Shooters. <laughs> Not FS. <laughs> FF Shooters. FSS yeah. Hooters. No, yes. That's the other thing is, yeah, you go to the G League, you're going to get a lot better individual Absolutely. one-on-one development than you are in college. It's, it's, it, there's no question you know, what I'm seeing and hearing about in college and D1 is still old school, rooted in, in the 90s and before. And you don't have to pretend to be a student. You know, you are being paid to be a professional basketball player, at other, uh, which is a, a, a you know, departure from college basketball where you are not being paid to basically be a professional basketball player while also pretending to be a student for a lot of these guys. And, I, and I'm not talking about, you know, your Grayson Allens that are there for four years. I'm talking about, you know, de- your DeAndre Aydens. That right. guy, you know, w- <laughs> I read an article where they were talking about him doing leg presses. Well, guess what? In the NBA, they're not going to have him doing leg presses because leg presses is a stupid exercise. <laughs> okay. I mean, especially if you're seven feet tall. It's really bad for your back. It's bad for your hips and pelvis. Um, so, you know, how much damage is being done to these guys by, by being with these old school-minded people for a year? Right. How much? We don't know. There's no way to, to, to quantify that. So let's just get – this is why I'm pro-academy, you know? I, I would like for teams to be able to get their hands on these kids when they're 13 years old. Absolutely. And Mark Cuban's got it right. He was, he just came out and advocated for that. We need to do that. And I actually like, I said, Hey, look, count me in. Let me be part of that. And so we never know how that will play out, but certainly, yeah, th- we should do that like they do in Europe. It, uh, it would be, it would be a much better version and a much better game, much better development. Uh, and they could still teach them. They could learn academics as well sure. in this academy. So it, it works in Europe. Yeah. It works in Europe. Adam Stanko, friend, best friend of the breakdown. Uh, asks who would be our top three in the MVP ballot. Well, I'll, I'll have to go. Let's see, Harden. We could put Dame in the top three, can't we? I think so, man. At this point, I, yeah. I think so. I mean, they they seem like they've really got the three seed locked. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I think Dame is in there. Are they locked? It, I mean, they've got a they've got a two game lead on four, um, and they're playing their best basketball right now. Right, and I believe that their schedule is favorable, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I gotta it, check. It, well, they've got a, a, a five game stretch coming up, like that's like Houston, Boston. I don't remember off the top of my head, but they're they're about to hit a, a rough patch in their schedule. But they're playing really good basketball, and um, yeah, I, I think Dame has got to be at least in that conversation for the top three. Harden is the MVP, like right. in, in, no question. Um, but the top three is is kind of funny because you know I, Steph Curry being hurt. KD being hurt, um, you know, LeBron, the, the Cavs kind of having their issues. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could say Anthony Davis <laughs> is in there. Uh, I, I like DeMar DeRozan myself uh, yeah. for, for like that second spot. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I get the, the Raptors keep getting maligned. Like, they look like they're really serious. And then, I mean, they lost OKC. I didn't see the game. It sounded like it was a little bit of a rough one. The refs not, were not favorable either. But, um, yeah. but they had know. won 11 games in a row at home. Or oh, that's something. true, I mean, too. They were on a tear. I mean, you know. You yeah. lose games. By the way, has everyone won 10 games in a row now this year? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's right. a game of runs, Nick. Right. No, I'm going to do a video on it. There's like six or seven teams that have all had at least 10 game runs this year. It's got to be unprecedented. I don't know how to how – to, I'm not going to look <laughs> and count, but right? There can't be – there's not been another season with that many teams as far as I'm concerned. Huh. Right? Like, you know, that's a 10-game winning streak is a long winning streak. And they're all more than 10, like 11, 12, and then even longer. So um, let's see. Uh, we have interesting a couple as we wrap this up here. Um, do you watch a lot of Cavs games, and how do they have the same defensive breakdowns every game? That's uh, uh, Nade Meister. Um, I mean, it's how do they have that? Well, because they don't practice, right? Yeah, I mean that's part of it. Part of it. I mean, they. they I don't necessarily think their scheme is very good. Um, I think that they switch a little too easily. There's not enough resistance in the pick and roll and they, and they wind up, you know, they, they've got guys that you have to cover for and they always find themselves defending the ball in the pick and roll. And that that's a big problem. And then the transition, but the transition just feels like effort, you know, uh, a little bit, a little bit of both, a little bit of uh, communication, right? Making sure one the, the right guy. Like a lot of times, you know, in in grammar school, you learn, you know, if you're running down, you might have to pick up a guy that's not your man, right? right? And I sometimes feel like they're still stuck on like that's my man, but like you're letting a guy just streak to the basket, and you got you can't do that. So uh, it's really crazy. Um, and yes, uh, yes, Shane Ellard, I am hating, I guess, big time from one loss in OKC. But uh, Dave, calm me down after that's realizing right. that they're on. Don't a long worry, I'm still streak. Team Toronto here. I, I still have the Raptors going to the finals. I, right. I believe. Now, there, there's a question that came up a couple of times about Bates Diop uh, succeeding the NBA. I don't know who that is. Do you? I haven't looked at him yet. All right, he's, not, he's not in the top seven. I'm not. I haven't right. seen any of them. So, Ty Mack, 32, wants to know, will a healthy-ish Kawhi, uh, with a healthy-ish Kawhi, can the Spurs scare anyone in the playoffs? Uh, absolutely. They can scare everyone in the playoffs, can't they? Uh, yeah. They're scaring people right now without, without Kawhi. So, um, yeah, I think that that... For sure, um, if Kawhi can be back and at a hundred percent, which he's still not back, and we know how the Spurs are, um, it, that's a big if. Uh, then yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they stand to have potentially the best player in the series. So thanks, Tyler. Thanks for the question. Absolutely. Well, you know what, Dave? I think we've hit that time. It is that time. Yeah, it was a spirited, spirited podcast. A lot of great stuff. I'm really glad we can uh, you were available to jump Listen. on for the emergency one. Anytime I can uh, crap on college basketball, sign me up. <laughs> All right. And me too, because, man, it's a lot to crap on. So, uh, But we will not crap on you or me or anybody <laughs> out there that stayed with us during this, uh, this podcast slash Periscope. It was a great conversation. Uh, you can check it up on iTunes uh, in a few minutes when I put it up there. So uh, thanks for coming on the show, Dave. Thank you all for joining us live, and thank you for listening to the podcast if that's where you're listening to. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're on a channel, we're conversation. You in? Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. <laughs>